in the Green Bibles, we're coming to the, the, the part of our service where we feed on God as he speaks to us by his word through scripture. We've, uh, those of you who've been here over the last few weeks, you know we've been sort of sitting in this story that Jesus tells. It's known popularly as the sower, the parable of the sower. It's, um, it's really about the seed that he sowed and the soil that it landed on. I'm going to read from verse 3 of chapter 13 at the foot of the page. Then Jesus told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. And just drop down to verse 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When people hear the message about the kingdom and do not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their hearts. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to people who hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to people who hear the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to people who hear the word and understand it. They produce a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, as I say, we've been um, just thinking about uh, the kingdom, the kingdom is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is just anywhere where God is kinging it, where he is sovereign, where he rules, where he reigns. We've been thinking about that in, in how we might be the answer to the prayer that um, Christians pray throughout the world week after week after week. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus told stories to illustrate what the kingdom looks like. And uh, here we've been sitting in this story because, in essence, the kingdom is something that, it, when planted, grows. The, the, the sort of the spine of this story, there, there are a number of strands off it, we're going to look at one of them today, but the spine of this story is that seed planted in good soil grows out of all proportion. And uh, we're in a season here where as a church, as, as part of God's kingdom, part of God's heart, God's plans, God pu God's purposes for this, this earth here, for this city, for this community, we've been thinking about how we might grow. A hundred times. What was it? Not a hundred percent. I used to read that. Got a little bubble. I used to read a hundred percent. Well, that's quite good. hundred percent, that's, that's effectively doubling. No, it's not double. A hundred times. Even the sort of paltry 30 times. A hundred, sixty, thirty. The thirty, thirty times. Find me an investor 
find me a financial consultant who's got a product that has, over whatever period of time, has yielded 30 times what was invested, <laughs> let alone 60 or 100. And yet that's the kingdom, Jesus says. So we've been looking at those soil types where this seed that is capable of growing out of all proportion, the life of God, looking at those soil types where that doesn't appear to happen. And we've looked at um, the bouncy seed that lands on the path or the road. It, it, just, it, it, it doesn't take root at all. It just sits on the surface and the birds come and eat it. And today I want to look at not bouncy seed, but burnt out seed. Burnt out seed. Look with me at uh, the bit of the story. Verse 5. <clears throat> bottom, bottom of page 925. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came out, the plants were scorched and they were withered because they had no root. They got burnt out. The seed, which sprang up quickly, took root and grew, got literally burnt out. The sun scorched it. It withered. It died. It didn't fulfill its potential to produce a crop of a hundred times what was sown. I want to look at burnt out seed just for a few minutes this morning. And again, I invite um, house groups and I'd love you to do, come join in with a house group because this is where we can cut up the meal, as it were, and digest this. What does this mean for me? Like, I love that, Jenny, you know, just feel God is more present as a result of meeting with other Christians. That's, uh, that's what Christian life is about, knowing God really present amongst us. So uh, let's digest this over the coming week. Let's look at the meaning that Jesus offers for this burnt out seed. Verse 20, uh, bottom of page 926. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to people who hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. seed lands, sprouts, but the, the soil is shallow. The seed has very little root. Because according to the story, it, it, it's rocky ground. So there's a sort of, there's maybe a tiny, thin layer of soil, but basically it's rocky ground. It's thin soil. It's shallow soil. Jesus is addressing an issue that I bet is common to all of us here in this global city. We just, we feel the soil of our lives feels sort of thinly spread out, feels stretched. It's, it's extraordinary the pace of change and the impact that it has on us in our lives. When, when I was, <laughs> I'm looking at most of you, when I was your age, I, a long time ago, you know, the, if you'd said to me, use the phrase 24-7, it was some sort of strange code word. But we all, we all understand that today, don't we? 24-7. It's just continuous. 24 hours in the day, seven days in the week. 24-7. And it refers to things like the fact that my BlackBerry is on 24-7 and beeping at me. It refers to the fact that if my computer is on, just my inbox is going... It refers to the fact that just life is going on 24-7. My dad used to work before he retired as a solicitor. Great. He'd, he'd, um, he, he'd sort of, there'd be some kind of case, some kind of letter, and you'd, you'd, it would end up with a letter that you'd, you'd write or he'd dictate a letter. And it would be amazing. It's just on a bit of paper, you fold it up, 
and stick it in an envelope, lick that down, get a stamp, remember them, and, and then post it in the post box. Wait for Mr. Postman to come some hours later and he collect it in his sack and take it off and be processed and delivered. Any, any bit of business that my dad did, he, he knew as soon as he'd done his part, he could wait two or three days before they'd even act upon it. And then they do the same process. Of, so his line of work just took the, the sort of ebb and flow of his work. It was you know, over a matter of days. But now we, we talk about pinging an email. We don't send with post people and other services. We ping and then straighten the inbox. I've got to deal with it now. Uh, because all the faxes will come in and all the telephone calls and everything else. It's a pretty recent phenomenon. And, and, and you know, many of us in this global city, we're caught up in London particularly. Joe and I, we spent four years of our life in the seventh biggest city in England, Bristol. So it's, it's a wonderful city. It's the seventh biggest city in, in this country. I promise you, living in Bristol, as there's a couple who've uh, just moved to Bristol, they'll testify. It feels like a village compared to this city here, London. I think it's something about the, you know, the, so much commerce, the financial markets. There's, there are stresses and strains. I was talking to someone just this week dealing with an issue that involves the figure of 30 million pounds. Just, and that's, that's just one of the things on this person's in-tray. Like just the pressure, the pace. I, if, if you don't feel in some way that you are thin, <laughs> if you were to think of yourself as a topsoil or even a depthsoil, I'd, I'd struggle to believe you. In, in, if you're engaging with life in the 21st century in London, shallow soil, thin soil, so we're tired, we're busy, we're pressurized, we're squeezed. How can the seed of God's word take root and grow in such a way, so rooted, that it can produce the crop in our lives and collectively in this church life that will make a difference? Impacts other lives, community, the city, transform the world. It's what we're commissioned. How? If this is our experience, if the soil of our life is so thin. Here's just where Jesus tweaks it, though, a little bit. Look at verse um, 21. Because Jesus isn't actually talking about that the scorching, the burned out, isn't when we're busy or when we're stressed or when there's a lot going on. Because as I come on to say, that was true for Jesus, the most fruitful human life that ever lived. It isn't actually the busyness or the stress or the pressure. Here's what scorches us. Here's what burns us out. Verse 21, since they had no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The falling away or the scorching isn't actually because there's a thin root or shallow soil. That doesn't help, but that isn't the cause. It's when trouble or persecution come because of the word. When living for God, looking to encourage his life in us, living in us, when that becomes more and more of a priority, we'll face test, trouble, hardship. And when that happens, the question is, 
How rooted are we? Many of us find in 80 to 90% of our waking hours that the cultures and atmospheres and neighborhoods that we live in do not contain enough spiritual nutrient to support and nurture and nourish the life of God in us. It's one of the reasons why I, I, I'll bang the drum for house groups and prayer triplets and for gathering together because that's where we can, we can kind of concentrate the, the nutrients, if you like. That's where the soil can come together that longs to produce a crop because probably your colleagues and workmates and people in the office, uh, the people that we work with, the people that we mingle at the school gate, in the schools, in the hospitals, wherever it might be that we find ourselves called to be, don't understand the vision of God and the power of God and the life of God. They're less likely to be encouraging that in each of us. Here's the question. How can we be fruitful? How can we grow a crop of a hundredfold in rocky soil? How can we grow in rocky soil? Paul writes to the church in Philippi. Can we have that, the first slide up, the two, five to eight? Here we go. In fact, yeah, let's just leave it there. That's good. In your relationships with one another, have the same attitude of mind Christ Jesus had. Let's think about Jesus. Little observation. Uh, Alpha, we've had started another Alpha course. I, I just love, I never tire of Alpha. I think it's because we get to the epicenter of the Christian faith. We get to the heart of the gospel, and it is always so exciting. It's always refreshing. If, if you ever get tired of thinking about Jesus... Uh -uh. <laughs> then ask yourself, what's going on there? It is so good. And we think about Jesus, and last Wednesday, uh, there were four of us, in there were four guests in our front room, and we were considering Jesus. The title of the talk is, Who is Jesus? And here's what I found over the, I, I think I'm on my 26th or 27th Alpha course, uh, and here's what I found as a, as a rough rule. Those people who've been Christians for some time, those people who are, are believers, we tend to focus on the God-like aspects of Jesus. We tend to think of, um, I mean, you come in and we immediately see him on the, the cross. And we don't just think, oh, that's a horrible way to die. I mean, we might think that. But we've gone beyond that. We, we think through the reason why he died on the cross. We think through the implication. And immediately we're getting into a spirit realm. He died on the cross to forgive me my sin. He canceled the debt against God. And God has forgiven my sin through Jesus. So already we're investing Jesus with divinity. We tend to default to Jesus in spiritual terms. Holy communion. It's bread and wine. Why do we do that? Is it because you're hungry and I think you need a little snack to keep you going? No. We go beyond the physical and the natural straight away. We, we, we make an application to being sustained inside. How can Jesus sustain my spirit unless he is spirit, the Holy Spirit of Jesus? So as Christians, we tend to go, Jesus, God. But what I've found with people on the Alpha course, of course, these are people who are not yet Christians by and large. And it was true this, this last Wednesday. Uh, we were talking about who is Jesus. And they were going, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
he was definitely a man. Yeah, I believe he existed. Yes, there are the history of the gospel accounts, but other histories too. Jesus existed. He was a man. He, he ate food like I did. He walked around. He cried and laughed. And Yes, yes. Jesus was a real man. Yes. But was he really God? And I wonder whether uh, we've come some way, I'm assuming here, in wrestling with the was Jesus God issue. I wonder whether we could learn something from our, our Alpha guests, as it were, just to take some time in thinking about cultivating a fruitful life in rocky soil. Take time to think of human Jesus. If you do, by the way, and this is just a little aside, what you'll be doing is, is slashing through one of the classic uh, heresies about Jesus Christ. Uh, about, there were eight main heresies. They all had a, a, emerged by about the second century. And one of them is the heresy of docetism. It's from the Greek word dokio, to appear or to seem. And the argument is that, that Jesus wasn't really human. He, he kind of floated sort of six inches above the ground. He was, he, was, he was basically God. He was God, like a sort of super angel. And he appeared to be human, but he wasn't really human. He doesn't really know what it's like to work in a bank or to work in, a, in an insurance company. He doesn't really know what it is to teach a bunch of year nines. He doesn't really know what it is to work on a hospital ward or to try and run a home. He's, no, because really, he, he's, he's, kind of, he's kind of God. He kind of floated above us. He kind of appeared as an apparition, but he's not real. Denounced by the early church as a heresy, Jesus Christ was God in human form. He really existed. He really lived. And the Gospels testify to that. So let's consider Jesus. And look, can we have the next slide? Who being in very nature God, Paul writes in Philippians 2, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a human being, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. If I was to retranslate that passage in Philippians 2 in the context of the, the seed and the soil story, I might do it like this. Let's think about Jesus, who wasn't content with the rich nutrifying, encouraging soil of heaven, but allowed himself to be uprooted and planted into the rocky, bare, thin existence that is our human experience. He willingly left the riches of heaven in order to take on and embrace the paucity in relative terms, the paucity of human existence. He rooted himself in our rocky soil. He knows what it is to be, to be tired. Do you, do you remember that story? It's quite a well-known story of Jesus calming the storm. Yeah, you familiar with it? These sailors, the disciples, many of them were fishermen. They were used to it, the, and they were sailing. And they, on the lake, a storm comes up. And these water experience, boat experience, people are terrified. So it must have been quite a storm. I mean, pitching and rolling and the wind, the flapping of the sail. I just, where's Jesus? He's so exhausted. He's so tired. He's asleep amid all of this. They have to wake him up. Jesus, don't you care? Well, I'm sure he does care. 
I'm sure he wants to do something about it, but first of all, can you just let me get some kid? He's tired. As a human being, he, he knows what it is to be weary, exhausted. There's that bit in Mark as well. Mark's a very graphic gospel where Jesus is healing people after sunset. Now, in, before electric lighting, when the sunset bedtime and you get up at sunrise, after sunset, it's a late night for Jesus. Then it says that early the next morning before the sun had risen, it's an early morning after a late night. He was busy. Jesus knows what it is to be busy. He was pressured. I mean, you've got just all the religious authorities, the Pharisees coming. Hey, some of these guys are good guys. Nicodemus, Zacchaeus. And all the while he's having to discern, are you a genuine guy or are you just a jealous guy? Are you out for yourself? Are you trying to catch me out? Or is, are you genuinely trying to enter heaven? Just all the time, he's, he's calibrating. What have I got here? Who have I got here? Here's a lady who's been ostracized. There's a leper. Everyone else, I need to... But, and then the religious authorities bring into bed. Do you think Jesus didn't know pressure as he lived here on earth? Let's think about the moment where we do focus so much. The cross. I mean... We're aware of the spiritual agony as all our sin separates him from a relationship with the Father that is eternal. He's never known separation from God apart from when he hangs on the cross. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Every other time Jesus refers to God as Father or my Father or the Father. Intimate relationship. Here, broken. You don't think that's pressure? And what does he pray? Father, forgive them. How is he able to produce such fruit in his life under such intense suffering and pressure? Paul says, consider him. Jesus who's lived as we've lived, who's experienced life as we experience life. And yet, let's read the next bit. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus roots himself in our existence and God takes him and exalts him. How many times one life is every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth? It's more than a hundred. I can't do the math. Someone clever do the math on how many knees bowing and how many tongues confessing Jesus Christ is Lord. How, what, what return is that on one life? Jesus' obedience to death. God raises him. Here's, here's the take home. Here's the answer to the question, how can I be fruitful as a Christian in rocky times? Actually, just a note. I remember... I've put this on the editing floor. I'm going to bring it up again. It's just a tiny thing. But do you notice how the seed, it still sprouts? Even though the conditions aren't good, it still sprouts. The word of God, the life of God, Jesus himself is longing to be formed in you. Just a tiny bit. Just a little, I give just two minutes a day to think about God, maybe read a bit of the Bible. I'll go to home group whenever I can. I'll come to church when I can. Those little bits of soil that we offer to God, Jesus wants to grow in it. How can we be fruitful? It's by looking to Jesus and remembering that as we are in him, 
as we know him, as we reach out our hands to hold on to him, and he holds on to us. It's to remember that as God exalts Jesus and raises him, so God exalts and raises Jesus in us. What rock is there in your life that is anything like the stone that was smashed against the tomb that released Jesus? If God can deal with the rock that held Jesus in so that he rises to new life, he can deal with whatever rock there might be in your or my life. So that as I look to Jesus, Jesus grows and lives in me, in you, in us. That's what I love, uh, Clemmie's story. There are so many that I know you've got. Tom, other house group members, we begin to recognize Jesus growing in one another. And that actually calls forth life in us. And the rocks begin to get broken up and removed. God begins to till the soil in our lives. He sows more seed. And that seed that can't wait to grow takes root and grows even deeper. So we can even get to the place where we can embrace trial and test. Let's just look at the final verse. This is from um, James, the first few verses in James's letter. He says, consider it joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Just to pause there. See, it's the trials and persecutions on rocky soil that burn out the seed. But James says, if we consider it, we consider it joy when we face trial of many kinds because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Feeling thin, feeling stretched, feeling pressurized then we look to what God has done in Jesus. The word of God. The seed of God. The life of God. And as we look to what God has done in him, he grows in our lives. He, he pushes away the rocks. He breaks up the rocky ground. He tills the soil so that the seed can take deeper and deeper root. And so that we can begin to imagine living a life 30, 60, 100 times more fruitful than that which was sown. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. I'm going to invite the band to come back. Let's just have a moment though as they come again and worship God in song. But let, I'd love to stay with that sort of seed and soil metaphor. Can you just now as we've gathered this morning, as we've worshipped God, as we've been encouraged by testimony we're amongst friends here, and God is present. And God is longing, God's longing for us to be fruitful for him. Just in the moment of quiet, as you allow the seed of God's word this morning to penetrate again the soil of your heart and your mind, your life. I often find this is where conviction comes. The Spirit of God searching our hearts. There may be actually, you know, rocks, hard places in the soil of our lives that actually we can, you know, God has been calling us to be our own gardener, as it were. 
things that get in the way. Time wasters, energy sappers. You know, it's just a beautiful, this is the wonderful joy of confession. It's just saying, Lord, I, I, can, I can feel the pinprick of your spirit in my conscience, in my heart. I, I know I need to deal with this issue without element. And it, it simply, this is the opportunity to do it. Do it now. Just engage with God. Lord, here it is. I recognize what it is. I want to get that out of the soil bed of my life. I want to make more room for the seed of your word. I give it to you, Lord. Take it, crumble it, break it up, remove it. Till the soil of my life. Sow fresh seed. I don't want to be burnt out. I don't want to fall away. I want to grow strong. Spirit is here, it's working. These are precious moments, just you and Jesus by His Spirit. For some of us, He's giving actually a vision. What does, what does it look like to be more fruitful? It's maybe just a particular area of your life. It may be in a, perhaps in your marriage, if you're married, or in a particular relationship or friendship. There may be an aspect of your work. You know, the whole, you think of the whole of our lives, we get overwhelmed. But often I find the Spirit is so sp- specific. It's a particular thing at work, perhaps. Particular decision that's, it's just, it, yeah, it's just, just I'm kind of filling the soil. Maybe it's a test or a trial. Somewhere where you know you're being invited to make a stand as Jesus would. To to stand up and be counted. And you've perhaps been shrinking back because, well, maybe you don't feel sufficiently rooted. Jesus is saying, break up that barrier, that that rockiness. Embrace this as an opportunity. Trust me, won't just see me grow in you as you face this trial with joy, the testing of your faith. Hmm. We're going to continue to worship the God of life, the God who grows in us. We're going to sing a song. As as we do that, we're going to, as part of our worship, take up an offering. If you're visiting, please don't feel obliged to give. If you're a